Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. Today, Michael is flying solo. John is out doing something. Well, I'll just let Michael explain that here in a minute. But I'm excited because we have a guest on the show, and that is Darren Sugiyama. Michael, I know you brought Darren on because he is fantastic. You guys have done work together. Why don't you give us the lowdown on what's going on today? Sure. Well, the lowdown on where my father is, is we had some thunderstorms roll through here, uh, and he is at the office on our setup there at the office, and the power went out. So Sitting in the he dark. Uh, is <laughs> un, 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 unable to make it today, so I will be flying solo. All right. But um, Darren, yes, yeah, so we've been working with Darren for a good number of years now. Um, uh, Darren is a graduate of Loyola Marymount University, where he was a team captain of the baseball team and completed his master's degree in multicultural education uh, from the University of Hawaii. He's also the author of the internationally acclaimed book, How I Built a $37 million Insurance Agency in Less Than Seven Years, mm -hmm. and has also authored three additional books, including, ouch, my financial advisor lost me $930,000 in three years. So that's a, a pretty provocative title, Darren. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but his background is in building successful insurance agencies and developing creative insurance-based solutions. And in the early 2000s, he was responsible for developing self-funded deductible plans in the small group employee benefits world, uh, which is a cutting-edge approach to uh, an otherwise commoditized market. Uh, his contribution to the industry led him to build his startup agency into the number one brokerage firm in the county with Kaiser Permanente, number one in the country with HealthNet and number two in the state of California with Aetna, uh, number one in Orange County, California with Blue Shield, and to name a few of his accolades in the insurance industry. In 2016, Darren launched a proprietary employee benefits retirement group that he co-developed with Pacific Life. In 2017, his program was responsible for over 25% of Pacific Life's policy count in Orange County, California. Darren's gift is demystifying the confusion of the industry and approaches his clients at Lionsmark Capital with a mathematically based, zero-nonsense, blunt candor that is unique and refreshing. So, Darren, thank you very much for being here today. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, we wanted to have you on, Darren, because the topic we're going to talk about today is uh, what a lot of our families consider a, a unique concept that they really haven't heard of before. And that's going to be premium financing of life insurance policies. And that's really what Lionsmark Capital, uh, what you've built it to really specialize in. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But to start off, because this tends to be a unique and, and sometimes foreign concept for a lot of our families, can you just start and explain what premium financing is? Sure. Uh, there's two different types of clients we have that are looking for two very different outcomes. Uh, the first group would be uh, folks that are buying life insurance for the primarily for the death benefit. Um, think of it as uh, buying a life insurance policy in a similar fashion that you would buy a house with a mortgage. So these folks are buying very large uh, life insurance policies. They are borrowing the money from a bank to fund to fund the premiums, and then they're paying interest 
all those borrowed funds, again, in this very similar way that you would uh, uh, buy a house with a mortgage. Uh, the second group of people are buying a life insurance policy uh, more so for the cash accumulation aspect. So they're buying it as an asset class, uh, something that has uh, historically has uh, returns uh, equal to um, the equities markets, but with the de-risking factors of, say, like a bond portfolio. So it's a very safe, a very uh, conservative way to build wealth over time, um, as well as a way to protect your family in the event of uh, a premature death. Yeah, that's. I, I think you hit the nail on the head, and the, with the analogy of of buying a house. And so the way we've approached premium financing with a lot of our families is when you make a major purchase of anything, whether that be a house or another piece of real estate or a business or a car. You know, typically financing is involved in that. And really, if you have a, an insurance need, one of those needs that that you just mentioned, Darren. You can, in addition to to either paying some money out of pocket or or um, or another way of funding it, you can use a bank, just like you would buying a piece of real estate, to assist you in purchasing that policy that you would otherwise need. Uh, so I, I think that's a great analogy because the real estate is a, a common example where a lot of the families they they understand. Okay, if I'm going to buy a piece of real estate, I'm going to put a little bit of money down, and I'm going to have a bank assist me in in the remainder of that purchase. It's the same thing that we're talking about here. So I really appreciate that analogy. But where where does premium financing fit? Are, are there particular uh, a class of of purchasers? Um, is is there a requirement that that a, a purchaser needs to meet in order to utilize this program? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it depends primarily on the person's net worth. So certain insurance companies will have certain requirements, parameters um, in terms of uh, a minimum net worth requirement. Typically that minimum net worth requirement is $5 million. Um, we do have some really special and proprietary programs that we've gotten approved with a couple other different insurance carriers that will allow us to do this uh, with folks that have a net worth sub two and a half million. And, and one of them will actually allow us to do this for clients that have a net worth sub half a million. So it really comes down to being responsible on our side as, as the, as the uh, you know, advisor, having that fiduciary responsibility uh, over understanding what the client's needs are, uh, what the client's uh, budget is, um, what their uh, ability to maintain that budget over a period of time is relative to their, their type of business, the type of industry they're in, and then really matching up the right client um, with the right strategy. You know, if you go back to, uh, you know, I alluded to uh, the using a, a buying a home with a mortgage, right, as, a, as, as, as kind of an analogy to doing this uh, with a life insurance policy, if we go back to pre-mortgage crisis, you know, 2007, 2008, you had a lot of abusive mortgage loans out there that were not suitable for the clients, that were far over leveraged, um, and they got people, the wrong people, into the wrong uh, mortgage loans, and we know what happened uh, with all that. Uh, I'd say the danger in premium financing in, in current times is that you have a lot of firms out there that are essentially doing something very similar to what these mortgage lenders were doing back uh, just prior to the mortgage crash. Um, in, in the mortgages industry, you had these folks uh, engaging in these negative amortization loans, which um, 
were, were very risky and, and you could argue were appropriate for um, a wealthy client that had a huge risk tolerance and a lot of liquidity. But as we all know, a lot of folks got into those mortgage loans without really understanding how they worked. And uh, in the end, uh, they, they paid the price for it. In premium financing, we like to use the term uh, responsible leverage. So again, it's getting the right client into the right program, um, something that, that makes sense uh, for the client short term as well as long term, taking into consideration all of the unknowns uh, of the future, uh, market crashes, volatility, poor sequence of returns, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why we love working with Copper Beach because I know you folks do such a great job of, of uh, doing the right thing for the client from an ethical and a, and a fiduciary responsibility uh, standpoint. Yeah, you brought up a great point, Darren. And if anyone who's listening, uh, maybe after this podcast, wants to look up premium financing, whether it's on Google, I would I would advise you to go to Darren's website, lionsmarkcapital.com, and and check out some of the videos that he's put up uh, on on the website. They're really great. They're a great primer on introducing this concept of premium financing. But you brought up a really interesting point, Darren, because we see that a lot on our end as well in terms of how this concept of premium financing is is frankly introduced to the client. And there have been times we've heard clients say, oh, I've been introduced to premium financing in the past. It's like free insurance, right? I can borrow yeah. all the all the the premiums from a bank for this insurance policy that, that maybe I don't even need, but it's nice if I can get it for free, right? That's not how this works. <laughs> I, I, I believe you would agree with that. So with that in mind, can you walk through a little bit of sort of the structure of let's say a typical premium financing loan, what, what that would look like, what are the variables that go into that type of loan? Uh, because anytime you talk about borrowing any kind of money for any purchase, there's always th the question of how that loan is structured and how it works. So can you walk through a little bit of how a typical premium financing arrangement would work? Sure, sure. Um, you know, the, 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 the typical trepidation and concerns that folks have when they look at the concept of premium financing, quite frankly, a lot of their concerns are very valid if they're looking at what we would call a traditional premium financing setup. So I'll, right. I'll, I'll walk through um, what that looks like and then I'll walk through what we do that is, is substantially different. The, the general concept is that the client is going to borrow premiums. So I'll use round numbers here. Right? So let's say the client was gonna borrow $100,000 a year in life insurance premium, and they're gonna borrow that $100,000 per year each year over a period of say seven years or 10 years. Uh, we'll just use 10 to make the math easier. Uh, so they would essentially be borrowing a million dollars over the course of that 10 years. Each year they would pay, be paying the interest um, on the loan balance. So in, in year one, they'd pay the interest on 100,000, year two, they'd pay the interest on 200,000 because they would be borrowing yet another $100,000 in year two, et cetera, et cetera, all the way till they get up to 10 years. Now they've borrowed a total of a million dollars and they're paying interest on that million dollars and they continue to do that until they decide to pay the third party lender off. Typically in a traditional premium financing setup, they would pay off the third party lender after about 15 years and they would typically uh, plan to pay that third party lender off with the increase in cash value in the policy as it is accumulated over that say 15 year period. So the idea here, the benefit for the client is that they're loading a much larger amount of premium into the policy 
So they, they capitalize off of the compounding um, interest off that larger amount that's loaded in in the first 10 years to the point where there's enough excess uh, cash value after, say, 15 years to pull out some of the gains, pay off the third-party lender, and now you've got a much larger, much ro more robust, a lot more valuable cash value life insurance policy at that point than had you put in the premium out of your own pocket that would equal the interest payments. That's the general uh, idea. There are several challenges that come with that setup, and that doesn't make the setup a bad setup. There are just some issues that you have to be aware of when you enter that type of relationship. So one of them is gonna be collateral. And I know a lot of firms out there, uh, they don't, in my estimation, they don't do a thorough enough job of articulating what that collateral means and looks like. So for example, the client's gonna borrow, say $100,000 in year one, there are charges associated with that life insurance policy. And they're, they're not cheap in the very beginning. They, they drastically taper off after you get outside the first 10-year window. But in the beginning, they're relatively high because if $100,000 goes into the policy and the uh, client dies in a car accident the next day, that insurance company is on the hook to pay out millions of dollars in life insurance claims, right? So there's going to be some charges there. What happens is if the client's going to borrow, put yourself in the role of the bank. If you're going to loan someone $100,000 to go into a life insurance policy, and after the charges are taken out in that first year, let's say there's only, say, $40,000 worth of account value, but the outstanding loan balance is $100,000, that means there's a $60,000 shortfall, right? That's the gap. So the gap collateral, as they call it, the bank is going to, going to require that the client post a little bit more than $60,000 in gap collateral. Now, as time goes on, say over the first, say, five years, the client is borrowing more and more premium. And so that gap collateral requirement is going to increase a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Now, that's all assuming that the life insurance policy yields a certain percentage of return. So let's say the expectation is the life insurance policy is going to uh, perform at say 6% per year. Well, if we have a year that looks like we're having right now, you're not going to get 6%. And so the cash value after that year is could be less than what was initially expected, which is going to increase that gap collateral uh, requirement. So there's nothing worse than a client gets into a situation that they don't fully understand or they don't remember the fact that that collateral requirement might increase. And now the advisor has to go to that client and say, hey, uh, we're going we're to need you to post an extra 50 grand, 100 grand, half a million dollars this year because the policy did not perform as expected. There's nothing wrong or unethical with that situation. Anyone that understands banking and loans understands that that, 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 that loan needs to be collateralized. But it just gives the client uh, one more layer of complexity, one more layer of uncertainty of, of what's going to happen. So if the policy doesn't perform as expected, the collateral amount is going to increase. And again, now that client's going to get hit with that um, additional collateral call. What we do is, is very different. We, we, do, we have the client put a little bit more skin in the game. So again, going back to the mortgage analogy, we're having the client put a little bit larger down payment so that their mortgage payment is a little bit less, but 
but they have a little bit more equity in the asset. In this case, it's the life insurance policy and the mortgage analogy, obviously, it's, it's the piece of real estate. So what happens now is if, God forbid, we have a market crash and the policy's cash value doesn't get a 5% or 6% or 7% return in that given year, there is enough equity in the policy to suffice uh, to, uh, to uh, satisfy the collateral requirement that the bank has. So in other words, if the policy value was always in a position where the value of the policy is greater than the outstanding loan balance, the policy can serve as the sole collateral. So in our program, we built an algorithm that will tell us the perfect amount of borrowed premium going into the policy versus the perfect amount of equity premium or out-of-pocket premium going into the policy so that additional collateral requirement never gets triggered. So I had a CPA recently ask me, well, in your design, what has to happen in order for the client to be required to post collateral outside of the policy or in addition to the policy? We ran our stress test in our proprietary software, which uh, makes us very unique in the space. No one else has the ability to do this. So I started putting in zero after zero after zero. The, the design required eight policy zero credits in a row in the first eight years of the policy to require the client to have to post additional collateral outside of the policy. In other words, the S&P 500 would have to have negative returns eight years in a row in the first eight years uh, of the policy in order for that to happen. Now, in the history of the S&P 500, uh, the most zeros we've ever had, or the most negative return years we've ever had in a row is three, uh, which is the year 2000, 2001, and 2002 in recent history. So again, we're, we're using responsible leverage by making sure that the client has as few variables and few surprises as possible that gives them the certainty they need to move forward and it gives the CPA the certainty they need to feel comfortable with putting the client into this type of program. Yeah, that, that's great. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we, we really like working with you in Linesmark Capital, because to your point, there are complexities that are built into this arrangement. And why I mentioned earlier, free insurance is because a lot of uh, advisors or promoters of premium financing, we're frankly going out to clients and telling them, you don't have to put any money down into this policy, or you can only pay the interest on this policy. And because the policy is going to appreciate at this, let's say, inflated or artificially inflated rate of return, which is just an assumption that the advisor is using, then you don't have to post any outside collateral because the policy is going to is going to satisfy the lender the, of that full loan, which you know could be the case. To your point, that's not nothing unethical or wrong with that. It's just another variable that has to be managed. So I, I really appreciate you talking about that because I think that's a really really key thing, especially when you're going into an arrangement which could be for 10 or 15 years, as you mentioned earlier, from a, a lending standpoint, it's important that the clients understand how that's gonna be structured and, and the risks and, and uh, benefits that are associated uh, with this type of program. But with all that in mind, I, I wanted you to go, if you can, Darren, go back to the, the two, sort of the two ways in which clients typically like to look at, at this type of structure. So where, where is the benefit lie? If I'm a, let's say I'm a business owner uh, and I need a death benefit maybe to fund my buy-sell agreement, as an example. How can how can this financing arrangement help me in my business in terms of managing cash flow and, and help as opposed to me paying uh, the premium out of pocket? 
Sure, that's a great question. Let's go through the, maybe start out by going through the different ways that someone might fund a buy-sell agreement. I have talked to so many business owners and, and several CPAs, quite frankly, that say, well, let's just buy cheap term, right? It's the cheapest way to buy the largest amount of death benefit. And, and just by definition, in theory, it accomplishes the goal, right? Least amount of expense, greatest amount of death benefit to satisfy the buy-sell. Makes sense on the surface. The challenge is that it's like renting an apartment, right? If that was, if, if, if uh, real estate, if the goal was to have the same square footage in the same neighborhood for the cheapest out of pocket, then everyone would just rent properties, right? No one would ever buy. Well, clearly yeah. the reason why people buy real estate, not only is there a pride of ownership, um, but the hope is that over time, as you own that asset, that that asset would increase in value. And at the end of the, the point where you don't need that particular asset anymore, you have a value, right? Meaning a, a dollar value that you could put in your pocket through selling that asset or whatever it may be. So uh, instead of doing term, what some folks will do is they will spend more premium to get the same amount of death benefit to satisfy the buy-sell agreement because they know at the end of the rainbow when they sell the company or they depart or whatever, they now have an asset that has a greatly appreciated value, a tax-free appreciated value that they can walk away with um, and, and use that, uh, that cash value to uh, semi-fund their own retirement, right? So at least they're not walking away with nothing the, that they would in a, a, a term insurance situation. If we go one level deeper, that's where premium financing comes in. So we say, okay, if you don't wanna flush money down the toilet and, and rent the insurance through the term policy, if you want an asset, then the question is, how do you get the biggest bang for your buck, right? How do you get the greatest benefit for the least um, out-of-pocket expense? Well, it's very similar to if you have a certain dollar amount in your pocket, if you're gonna buy a house and you're gonna uh, buy that house with cash, versus buy that house through a mortgage for the same out-of-pocket expense, you're gonna be able to buy a much more valuable house if you finance it, right? If you buy that house with a mortgage, than you would if you bought that house cash. Same thing if you're going to finance the premiums of a life insurance policy. So you could either, by using a program like ours, you could either purchase a much larger policy with a much larger death benefit that would ultimately have a much larger amount of cash value to use for your own benefit when you sell the company for the same out-of-pocket expense, right? Meaning the interest payments, than you would if you did not finance a policy, if you just bought the policy with cash for the same amount of death benefit, you're gonna pay a lot more or you're gonna pay the same uh, for a lot uh, smaller life insurance policy. Yeah, Darren, that all of that was was really, really, really helpful. Um, we we've seen on our end, uh, as you mentioned, it, particularly for business owners, a lot of our clients that are business owners, and they're always very concerned about cash flow. And so, if they have that need, let's in this example, to maybe fund a buy sell agreement um, to to fund their shareholder agreement, and they don't want they don't want to buy term, as you mentioned, they want to buy a permanent policy because they want that flexibility. But maybe they they have other cash flow needs within their business that they want they want to allocate that cash to. I'm assuming financing can come into play pretty um, pretty healthily there in terms of helping them with that need. Correct. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the the grand irony with premium financing 
is that it feels so, so it feels like such a foreign concept to so many people when they first get exposed to it. So what I tried to help them understand is that it's it's not a foreign concept. It's just foreign. It's a foreign concept when it comes to your life insurance, because right. almost every business owner, to some degree, has used leverage. Right? They've used uh, bank capital to fund something to get a little bit of a head start. Uh, if you go back to their their education, right? They, most people finance their education through a student loan, right? If you had to pay the full tuition out of pocket in cash every year, uh, you'd probably only be able to afford maybe two units a semester. Right. right? It's very expensive. So we, we use a student student loans to to finance our education um, to get it done in four years instead of twenty four years. When the business owner first starts their business, oftentimes they'll use lender capital. Um, to uh, to fund the startup of their business or to buy inventory um, or they use factoring or something like that. So they most folks have, have used leverage to a certain degree before and certainly if they own a house, the majority of people bought their house using a mortgage loan. So leverage and, and utilizing bank capital uh, to make something happen in a shorter window of time is nothing new, especially to an entrepreneur. So when it comes to premium financing, Though it, it sounds foreign, it's the concept is really not foreign. It's something that they have been very comfortable with and have um, implemented in several different areas of their personal life and their business life for years. Um, so once they begin to understand that, then it's a question of, okay, well, why isn't everyone doing this? Right? That's probably the biggest question I get. If it's so great, why isn't everyone doing this? The answer is very simple and, and very logical. Um, premium financing, the the target client for premium financing um, over the last 30 years has typically been for folks that have a $20, $25 million net worth and up. Um, if you talk to folks that have a $50 million net worth and up, and certainly a $100 million net worth and up, they're all very uh, familiar with premium financing. Uh, CPAs and estate tax attorneys that deal with that level of net worth a client um, are very familiar with premium financing. But when you drop down below the $20 million net worth uh, threshold, the familiarity with premium financing drops off a cliff. And so especially when you're dealing with folks that say have a net worth of sub 10 million or sub 5 million, the familiarity uh, is just not there because premium financing was really built for you know, what I would call uber wealthy folks, you know, decamillionaires mm-hmm. and up. When we are able to expose something programmed to someone that would typically not qualify from a net worth standpoint, they should really be, be jumping for joy and, and, and grateful and thankful that they're exposed to this because this is really not something that was built for uh, someone at their net worth level. Now, you have to be careful. I have to be careful when I make that statement because it sounds – uh, very exclusionary. It sounds very. Uh, oh, geez! It sounds. It sounds like we're we're a bunch of guys sitting around at the country club, yeah. sipping twenty-two dollar cocktails with our little pinkies up in the air, saying, "Oh, right. you know." So to be able to give access <laughs> to folks that are have done well financially, but just don't have that net worth, uh, I think giving them that access is a really great thing uh, for everyone involved. That actually, I think, is a good segue into when we started that second 
reason why a lot of families will look at at your program with and premium financing in general and that has to do with maybe using it more as an asset uh, like a lot of our families when we look at life insurance as a component of their planning there are very few areas where you can accumulate wealth tax-free one of those is in a, a retirement account but in those types of accounts like qualified accounts 401k plans ira pl- accounts uh, roth accounts they may all grow tax-free and have some good tax advantages, but you're they're restricted. You're capped at how much you can contribute on an annual basis, or you can't take it out and use it whenever you want. So a lot of our families that want additional flexibility look at life insurance as an asset class because it's one of the other assets where you that you can own or accumulate wealth tax-free and take it out tax-free. A lot of our families will use that as a way to supplement some of their other retirement benefits that they've maybe put aside elsewhere. So can you talk a little bit around how maybe your program would would assist that type of client in, in using uh, a life insurance policy? Absolutely. Uh, again, I, th- I think the, the easiest way for someone that is not familiar with premium financing to get comfortable with it is if we, if we break it down into uh, all the elements that go into the construction of a premium finance life insurance policy, if we can if we understand each element, it helps the person understand the strategy in its entirety. So let's break down the elements. Uh, the first one being the actual life insurance policy. All right. So we have we're using after-tax dollars going into the life insurance policy. They get the tax deferred growth through while well, the cash is in the policy, and when they pull the money out, they're pulling the money out tax-free. Exact same treatment, uh, tax treatment as a Roth IRA, right. right? So when people say, well, it sounds too good to be true. Well, you, <laughs> come on, it's the same thing as the Roth IRA. Uh, the Roth IRA gets the same tax treatment as, as a cash value life insurance policy. So let's start there. Once they they accept that and they understand the the uh, uh, the connection between the, the, the tax treatments in both of those vehicles, they say, okay, now I, I understand that. I accept that. But why would a bank lend premium on this? Because you can't exactly go borrow money from Wells Fargo and then invest that in a bunch of mutual funds, right? With no collateral, right? Right. Why would they do this? That leads us to the second component of this, and that is the crediting method of the policy. So if we're going to use an indexed universal life policy, that is typically going to have a crediting method that's correlated with an index. For example, the S&P 500. Typically, you're going to have a floor and you're going to have a cap. Typically, that floor is going to be 0% and the cap is going to be somewhere between, say, 8.5% to 12.5%. We'll just use, use, use 10, use, make it an easy number. So let's say I have a 0% floor, 10% cap. What that means is that the S&P uh, returns a negative return in a given year. The client is protected with a 0% floor, meaning that if the S&P takes 30%, they don't lose 30% of their account value that they would in, say, a mutual fund. They lose zero. Now, there's no free lunch, so what they're giving up is some of the upside to give them that downside protection. So if the S&P is up 30%, they're going to get capped at whatever the cap is. So if the cap is 10, the maximum they can earn in a given year is 10%, but they're never going to lose any money because they have a 0% floor. So if you put yourself in the, in the bank's scenario, the bank looks at it and says, well, you're mean to tell me that if we loan this guy money and they put the money into an index universal life insurance policy, 
that has a 0% floor, that that policy value is constructed to where the cash value, the value of the asset, which essentially is the sole collateral in this case, if the value of the asset is always going to be in a position that is greater than the outstanding loan amount, my God, for the bank, that's a great loan. Right. So again, to, to go back to the mortgage analogy, if you were a bank and you were going to loan someone a million dollars to buy a million dollar house, you better cross your fingers and hope the value of that house doesn't go below a million dollars. If that million dollar house is now worth 700000 and your lending client decides they're not going to make their mortgage payment, now you're stuck with an asset that's worth seven hundred grand, but your your million dollars is still gone. That's a much riskier loan than a premium financing loan in our program. So when people say, "Well, you know, how risky is premium financing?" Well, it sure is a heck, it sure is a heck of a lot less risky than a mortgage loan for the lender. So once they understand that, it's like, okay, well, geez, this is a this is a very conservative loan. The, the asset, the policy, is a very de-risked type of asset because of that 0% floor. And God forbid something happens between now and like five minutes from now, and I died in a car accident, my family now gets this huge windfall of the death benefit. So even if they're not doing this for the death benefit, if they're purely doing this as an asset class, you know, as part of their overall investment portfolio, Either way, it's a heck of uh, an outcome for the client or their beneficiary if, God forbid, something bad happens. So then there, that begs the question, okay, I understand the leverage piece. I understand when the bank would do it. I understand the tax treatment. I understand the construction of the crediting method uh, with the insurance carrier. Now the question is, is this better than or worse than a 401k or a standard IRA or a pension plan or whatever? Mm-hmm. So what our firm decided to do is we built a proprietary in-house software uh, program where we can model truly back-tested periods of time of the S&P 500 and show them side-by-side what would have happened had they put that, say, 100 grand into the life insurance policy, 100 grand out of their own pocket. What would happen if we used you know, uh, several hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars of borrowed money from the bank where the client's outlay of interest payment was the same $100,000 as if they just paid the premium themselves in a smaller policy versus what would happen if they invested that $100,000 in, say, mutual funds versus what would have happened had they invested, say, $180,000 or whatever the pre-tax equivalent of that $100,000 would be into a defined benefit plan or a pension plan where they could put away uh, pre-tax money. Right. And we, and, we, and we model all of those different scenarios side by side so that we're not trying to sell or convince a client that our program is so much greater than everyone else's. We are saying objectively, here's what would have happened through all these different historical periods of time had you put that same dollar amount in this vehicle versus this vehicle versus this vehicle versus this vehicle. When all is said and done, if our program has produced, has mathematically produced a better outcome than all of these other um, uh, opportunities. What are we arguing about? Right. I, I want to show the client quantitatively what their best option is in a variety of different historical look back periods. 
and have their have them make their decision based off of mathematics, not emotions. When they're able to do that, that's what gives our clients certainty that they're making the right decision because we have mathematically modeled and proven that this construction works better than this one versus this one versus this one. And that's really what makes us different. Yeah, and just to add to that, unfortunately, we're running a little low on time, Darren. I want to thank you for, for coming on because this has been really enlightening uh, for me and I know for our listeners as well. But to add to that, and if, if you look at some of those comparisons that you just mentioned, Darren, and again, what we do at, at Copper Beach and our listeners, if you've been listening, you know our role as that family CFO. But when we look at a family holistically and we look at how, as an example, this life insurance policy could be used within the family's plan, you brought up a lot of those different those different reasons, Darren. It could be a death benefit need for the family. It could also be used as an asset down the road to supplement the retirement benefit that could, in fact, be mathematically or quantitatively, as you put it, more advantageous than perhaps what the family's doing otherwise or doing currently. So when you tie all that together, it's really important to look at this isn't a strategy that you do solely in a vacuum. There's, there's, there has to be a plan behind it. There has to be a good reason uh, for, for utilizing this structure. And when it, it fits well, it's a very, very, very powerful tool. And uh, a lot of our families that have worked with you have really enjoyed um, the results of that. And again, I, I would like to point out anyone listening, please go to Darren's website at lionsmarkcapital.com because he has a, a lot of really, really good videos that really walk through this this program again. Uh, but obviously, there's some visuals there that I think are really helpful as well. Um, so I, I, I really would encourage everyone to do that. Uh, before we sign off, Dan, are there any uh, last minute thoughts that we didn't cover? Anything that you want to uh, let our audience know about premium financing in general? Yeah, just to dovetail off of, of what you just said, by no means are we saying that someone should take 100% of their assets and put it into a premium finance life insurance policy. Oh, absolutely, policy. yeah. Yeah, yeah. They've, got, they've got several other uh, goals and initiatives that they want to put in play, uh, short-term, mid-term, and long-term. Um, and so this is a piece of their overall portfolio. Um, I will end with, with this. When, when someone says, well, you know, what's the max I can put into this? Which is, we get that question quite a bit. The only real limitation, assuming that the person qualifies and all that uh, preliminary uh, vetting stuff, uh, assuming it's all good to go, the, the, the only real limiting factor is going to be the insurability of the person. So in other words, if you're worth $5 million, an insurance company will probably not insure you for $20 million. If you have a $20 million net worth, the insurance pro company is probably not going to insure you for $100 million and et cetera, et cetera. Right. So what we do when we work with our, with our clients, and, and certainly when we work with with Carver Beach and their clients, we look to see okay, holistically, what is the overall goal? How does this piece fit into their overall portfolio? And and then it's a matter of how much insurance can we talk the insurance company into issuing on that individual client based off of their budget. So we start with with the budget. Uh, we also look at the uh, the life insurance need, and then if if we want, if the client wants to uh, contribute more money into the strategy that pushes the death benefit up, then we go to the, our relationships with the insurance companies, and we essentially uh, try to justify why that client uh, should deserve a higher death benefit or should qualify for a higher death benefit. So all of those things together make up our relationship and really define our relationship with the clients as well as our relationship with Copper Beach. And we're just really ecstatic about working with uh, the folks at Copper Beach. They do a fantastic job 
Uh, Michael included, yeah. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's because my dad's not on. That's why he said that, right? <laughs> uh, no, well, the, well, Darren, thank you again. This has been great. I hope uh, everyone listening um, enjoyed this podcast. I, I think it's a really, really powerful tool. And um, hopefully we can have you on again because I think that uh, this is this is going to be a popular one. And uh, I'd love to pick your brain on, on some other options here. But um, this has been great. Thank you so much. Great. I welcome the opportunity. Thanks for having me. Darren and Michael, this was a fantastic podcast. Darren, I know that you've been working with Copper Beach for, for quite some time. I have had the pleasure of working with them on their podcast and, and just being here with them, learning so much. And I love the fact that you said it best. I think it, that's that this is one piece of you know an overall plan, and that's what Copper Beach does so well with all their clients is that they integrate the best tools from the best resources all the time for the best outcomes for their clients. So. I love it. And I, I, I've never heard of this. So I thank you so much for the education today. And I encourage everybody to go check you out for sure. Michael, thank you so much for bringing them on the show. The only issue I have is now I feel guilty about drinking Mountain Dew with my pinky out at my club. So I'm going to try to, <laughs> I'll try to refrain from that now that you've put the guilt trip on Darren, but, uh, yeah, no, this is a great podcast. Michael, again, thank you so much. And, uh, you know what, John really missed out because this is a great podcast and you were the man today. So I appreciate oh, well, it. Well, thank you. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for hosting as always, Eric. We appreciate it. Oh, anytime. And the last thank you goes to the audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Incorporated, a member of FINRA SIPC Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated APFS or American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated APA and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. 
investments are not suitable for all types of investors.